0: Thank you very much Katie, patience, it's like standing here listening to a word that we very much need this morning, today and probably every day, Uh, the season of the last few months has certainly pushed and prodded and tested us all in a whole range of ways. So let me just pray before we jump in, as we think about this last part of James's letter, as he seeks to encourage other Christians to persevere. Heavenly Father, as we think about the journey of faith that we have been on, help us reflect on your word today. Help us really be stretched, encouraged, and help us more and more look to you as we wait for your return. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the sense that I have is the journey of faith so far that has been in James. It's been a great part of God's Word. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, Many people call James the ouch letter because it just pushes and prods in those spots that really we need to be listened about, thought about, changed. The one writer C.S. Lewis, as he reflected on his life and his journey of faith, he said this, That if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were the ones who thought most about the next world. And I can understand that even Hannah's testimony a little while ago. It's about where our eyes are placed helps us in this life and indeed the journey of faith. Uh, One of those who did that and lived like that a long, long time ago was the great theologian and philosopher, Jonathan Edwards, the man who led what is called one of the greatest revivals in American history, uh, the Great Awakening. And Jonathan Edwards had this phrase that I've been reminded of in recent days, living in between. How do you live in between waiting for something to come and this life we're living now. And Edwards kept reflecting on that and writing about that. And many of his writings actually help you persevere. Can I use that word in today's world? One of the people who went before him, a lady by the name of Anne Bradstreet. I like going back in history because I learn lessons from that, especially how to live well today as we wait for Christ's return and Langdon mentioned it to you don't forget we are going to have communion and so when we have communion together we do that to celebrate what Christ has done but indeed as we wait patiently for his return so Anne Bradstreet poet uh, went before uh, Jonathan Edwards also a Puritan but she's an amazing lady and there was a point in her life where she watched the house she owned burn down and all her poems were destroyed uh, in that that fire. And one can only imagine how heartbreaking that would be. And we've had some heartbreaks this morning. Thank you for hanging in with us. A big shout out to John, who's helped us get back online. Uh, Anne's life had also a whole range of other troubles. She had to bury one of her children. Uh, She buried her daughter-in-law, Sadly, she also was required to bury many of her grandchildren. And this wouldn't surprise those who go back in history to the 17, 18, 1900s. But she, later in her life, wrote a poem that you can check out online. And it has really become one of her most famous poems. It's called, As Weary Pilgrims Now at Rest. And when I think of the life she's lived and the challenges she's had... And her journey of faith, sometimes you wonder, what, what will people say? How do you express your thoughts or anger towards God or disappointment? Or, oh, it's just getting so hard. Well, if you read that poem, it's amazing what she writes. Because she expresses herself that in such a way that she acknowledges how hard life has been. How real the difficulties have been. Yet the poem, and for those who like poetry, it's far from a dirge. It's a poem of hope. Uh, it, It has a delight in the goodness of God. And she writes words like, Such lasting joys shall there behold. And she pleads, Lord, make me ready for that day when you return. Her vision of heaven, her hope waiting for the return of Christ, helped her live well in this life. And can I say it? She truly learned how to wait. And maybe that's something we have to learn ourselves in this season. James, as he writes, wants us to learn how to wait well and how to have patience well. And this has really, I think, been his journey from the beginning of chapter 1 right through to this point in time. Uh, Persevere, you might remember from James chapter 1, until the Lord returns. Forgive those who've taken advantage of you. Hang in there. There's a better day coming. And when I stop and think about all that we've learned, just a couple of key words, can I express them? James 1 about trials and perseverance. James 2 about faith and works and actions. James 3, oh, do we know about James 3? Tongues. Be careful how you speak. Be careful what you say. Guard your heart and your tongue. Uh, James 4 about the wisdom of God that comes in that as well tying in with fights and quarrels and boasting you remember that from Shane last week boasting about tomorrow we can boast well about tomorrow but we've got no idea what's going to happen and so James also as he writes wants us to learn how to live well in the in-between as we wait for Christ's return and so he has this sense of I want you to patiently persevere, to patiently persevere. we read this. uh, Be patient then, brothers and sisters. And you'll notice the words brothers and sisters come up again and again. Very affectionate. Until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near don't grumble against one another brothers and sisters uh, or you'll be judged the judge is standing at the door and so it's like be patient as you learn to live in this in-between season Uh, don't be outraged understand there's a better day coming and James has already expressed his thoughts about the life we live you might only have to go back to James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised uh, to those who love him. I mean, James is writing saying, look, don't, you might remember from last week, don't fight against the rich. They will be judged. Uh, don't be in despair. Don't think the situation is hopeless. Rich oppressors will be punished. That's the point. He also pushes it further and says those being oppressed should learn to wait. Don't take matters into your own hands. Because if you do, that too would be a failing because you'd be wanting what they have, what the rich have, and so you'll get caught up in the same temptation and potentially the same sin. No, he's saying be patient. Be patient. And he, sp- he spends the next five verses explaining it. And if there's one thing we've had to learn in this season called COVID, we've had to learn how to Be patient how to persevere, how to get along. Uh, And the last three months has taught us that the road to recovery is going to be long. It's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be resolved by tomorrow. Uh, And and we're lingering and getting frustrated and all those things happening. Life has changed, not is changing, it has changed. Be patient, and we want to explain. Well, what does that mean to be patient? Sometimes I've always felt in my life, you should just ask for more patience. Galatians five, the fruit of the spirit, you know, forbearance, patience. Heavenly Father, if only I could be as patient as Adele, one of our key workers. Let me be quiet and calm like her. She never gets herself rattled, and it's like maybe it's just something you get up to. You know, tomorrow morning, oh Lord, I'm more patient now. Others, of course, will say, Heavenly Father. Put me in a situation where I have to learn to be patient. You know, our young couple on the stage today, uh, married couple, wonderful couple, Jacob and Ruth. You might have noticed that they're expecting their first child. You should be excited about that. But as young Ruth knows, she has to be patient. Let's just say about nine months worth of patience before the little one comes. That's a pretty good season. Uh, Of course, by the time she gets to about nine months and two weeks, her patience might run out. It'll be a real test for Jacob about how he responds in that season when that happens. Patience. Everybody what's, that, what's this patience he's talking about? Uh, well, it's got a specific object in mind. Verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Verse 7. The farmer's patient waiting for the autumn and spring rains as he waits or something else as he waits for Christ's return. Uh, He knows how valuable the crop is. He knows how much God loves him. He knows how much God cares for him. And he's patiently waiting for that. Uh, And so James is saying, if you want to be mature, and I could assume we all want to be mature, then we have to be patient over the trials and challenges we experience. Uh, And when they come, and they do come, wait for a better day. And so if you want to be patient, the first step seems to be a a step of values. Make a choice of values, what matters most. And set your heart on those things. And secondly, patiently wait for Christ's return. And yes, we've been waiting a long time. The world has been waiting a long time. And as I look at the world, and I've got to confess, I'm, I'm getting tired of reading the bad news around the globe. And sometimes when I go to bed at night, I think, oh, Heavenly Father, now seems to be a good time to come back. I just, could you send Jesus back now? Can we keep moving in this unknown world? And yet, my guess is we have done for thousands of years. But as we live in between, place our hope on Christ's return. And this is how James wants us to capture that at this point in time. He says in verse 8, You too be patient and stand firm. Those verses uh, will pop up on the screen because the Lord is coming near. The Lord's coming is near. It's it's not far. Don't grumble against each other. And so it's not as if you're waiting with a sense of being defeated, as in woe is me, as in I'm leaning on the lectern now, as in oh. But it's a sense of being patient with a sense of strength. Stand firm. The return is so close. I'm standing here today in a fairly empty auditorium there's about 20 people around me i can even see on the seats before me some faces of our parishioners hi guys our return is so close is imminent in fact it's only a week away I, i can see your faces now i can see your smiles i can hear your voices wait a little bit longer. Yes, I know, like you know, the return we're coming back to is not like it was way, way back in February and March. No, I know that. You know that. But it's a step, a small step. But we're getting there. And meanwhile, understand that the Lord is still our shepherd. The Lord is still our redeemer. He's still our rock. That, none of that has changed. And so James turns to the very practical reality of what it means to be patient. And you heard me say it, verse 9, don't grumble, don't moan. Look at that beautiful verse. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Don't don't moan, don't complain. And look, my guess is we might want to sidestep that verse pretty quickly because none of us here ever complain or grumble. We're all pretty good with each other, aren't we? No one's responding because there's no one here to respond. And we just want to move on and think, oh, Ian, stop talking about other people because we don't do that. We don't want to to miss this behavior that is sadly part and parcel of the world we live in. And worse than that, it can be part and parcel of church life. Why? Because you don't get what you want. You don't have what you want. You may not have the songs you want. You may not have the, the band that you want. You may not have the preacher you want. You might, Who knows what it is you want? And then we quickly grumble and complain. And then that infects the church family. And that is so destructive. And James, you might have known, has been writing against that over and over every chapter. A church life can be, wow, that place for bickering and criticising. It happens in families and probably in this COVID season, maybe you've found yourself in your own family more, bickering more and criticizing more in your workplace, in your jobs. Um, frustrated dreams, uh, we're going to go and do this tomorrow. I can't wait to travel to America next week. It's not happening. There's all sorts of things that aren't happening. Difficult marriages, pressure, high blood pressure, um, credit card bills, allergies. Uh, Christians, we lose patience with each other. And the church then suffers. And James is saying, don't do that. Verse uh, 10 and 11. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy i just love looking at those words he's full of compassion and mercy and just in case you're wondering everyone needs compassion everyone needs mercy as suffering enters our believer's life it's not as if it doesn't and perseverance is the response to suffering finally blessing will come from the lord in that way why because he's full of compassion and mercy And we need to hold on to that and live in that space as well. Uh, The Lord does have a good plan for us. Uh, And what happens when we demonstrate this Christian patience? Well, it will look like the prophets who kept speaking and like Job kept believing even through suffering and perseverance. And I was sharing with the staff the other day as I continue to read through Job in this season. There's a specific assurance that comes from Job. The Lord will bless us. And Job certainly was blessed at the end of those amazing 42 chapters. It's a wonderful part of God's word. The whole book of Job is tied in with how you respond. It's meant to actually encourage Israel during the exile. And yes, you can feel as if Job is... There's a part of chapter 19, verse 23... Job says this: "Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, and engraved in rock forever." Here it is. Get ready. I know that my redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. That's a great reminder from about the middle of Job. It's not as if he's saying, "I know a redeemer." He's not even saying, "Well, there is uh, well that redeemer." It's it's my redeemer. It's very personal. It's certainly been my hope and prayer through this season as we await for another day that you can keep saying he's my redeemer. My hope is in my redeemer. He's the one I look to. He's the one I hold on to. And don't forget, as Job and others waited, they were mocked and ridiculed and yet God's grace sustained them. Fundamental to Christian belief is Christian practice. We don't just think these things, we have to live in them and understand them. Uh, You know, One of my great favourite musicians, of course, Van Morrison, uh, many years ago, well, the 80s probably, he and Cliff Richard did a song, When Will I Ever Learn to Live in God? When Will I Ever Learn to Live in God? And I think that's a challenge for us today. There will be future different seasons coming, there will be future challenges coming, there will be future tests coming. When will we ever learn to live in God? And I think James wants us to do that now. And it's his love for his brothers and sisters that he writes out of their concern. And there are many things in this life that I have no answers to, like you. There's many questions I have. Many things that are happening, I just don't understand why. I could put IT up there, but that'd be very unfair, wouldn't it? So I won't do that. Yet in this part of James' word, he's very mindful of how life can be lived in the in-between. And so he says in verse 12, Above all, brothers and sisters, look, can you do this? Don't swear. Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. I can sort of hear Jesus' words coming out of that from the Sermon on the Mount. Yes or no. It probably cuts through a lot of waffle that I've been involved in over the years. For all of us, just say yes or no. Let's... Treat each other accordingly in that way. You know, don't swear. Don't say ohs. Many people in the past would try and wrangle something out of God. God, if you do this, I will do that. Even the great Martin Luther thought that. Well, I'll become a monk if. Um, James is saying, don't, don't test God in that way. Be patient in your suffering. Remember the Lord is coming, the Lord will return. Remember the prophets, remember the example of Job. Remember the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. His, James's whole letter is a plea for readers not to be merely religious, but to be men and women of faith, men and women of faith. Uh, it, it's unbelief that moves you to a place of wanting to negotiate with God. Well, I tell you what God, if you do this, I'll do that. Don't allow suffering to push you into a place of unbelief. Don't allow suffering and pressure to push you into a place that you'll regret later. That's his point. You know, as a young boy, he used to uh, hear those words. Again, I'll make a promise. Tell me a secret. Will you keep a secret? Yeah, cross my heart and hope to die. One are those weird things we'd say? Don't make oaths and promises that you can't keep. No, persevere. And then he pushes it further. He said, patiently Pray. Patiently pray. And these next verses really flow out of verse 12. James is a man of faith. He has a passion for prayer, and it reflects his desire to engage. Patiently pray. Verse 13, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them praise. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. And anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Pray in times of trouble. Are we in times of trouble? Yes, pray. When you gather next week, and when you can't sing, tap dance, uh, line dance, uh, jump up and down and shout for joy, and when we move you out after who knows, 50 minutes of being in the building. And we tell you, now you can't hang around. You can't stop and have coffee and tea. We need you to move to your car so we can clean after you. Not that we're saying because you're dirty, but because we have a requirement to do that. Will you walk out singing praise to God, giving thanks to God, saying, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we could even come back and meet our brothers and sisters. Will you even in hard times give thanks and sing his praises because of what he has done for you and he's doing for you? And yes, in times of sickness, and no particular disease is identified here. Call others around. Let the ills of the church come and assist. And he pushes it further in verse 15 and 16, "And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other." That's a scary thought, isn't it? Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, James's motivation, if you've got to patiently persevere and patiently pray, then understand the power that's in prayer. Call the elders of the church. Yes, you could say that's pastors like myself, Langdon, who's leading this morning, wardens. Uh, and so the ones that are the most faithful, the ones who trust God the most, the ones who are moving in that righteous position. Call them because they are in this intimate relationship with God and speak and pray from that place. Now, I mean, the bottom line is everyone has that power. James writes in such a way that he believes the church has this access to such spiritual power. And we're called to pray in the name of the Lord and to pray with faith in belief that God can, will, act. Oh look! I know you're wanting me to say, "Well, every time we pray, the answer is going to be what we want." If only that is true. That certainly has not been true in my life. I've, as you know, I've seen far too many of those close to me die. And I remember when uh, years ago, my dad had cancer in his last week of his life, and he was in Calvary Hospital in Cogra And I'm driving up in the car, knowing that's probably the last time I'll see him. Thinking, Heavenly Father, can't you just cure him, just like that? I've done the same for my sister-in-laws who've passed in recent years, you know, 42 and 64. Heavenly, why, is it, why is it so hard? Do I need more faith? And all these questions that we've wrestled with. And we don't know. We don't know the greater purpose that God has in that space. And he does have a greater purpose. I have to trust him even when my own prayers have not been answered. But James is directing us all to continue to hold on to God. And look, I can talk about there are times also in ministry when you've seen the two where people are bitter, they resent each other, and their illness is directly tied in with their lack of forgiveness to someone else, or they resent someone else. And that's why James actually talks about confessing to each other. You know, James is talking about a dramatic transformation of relationships. You know, why pray? Because someone will be healed. The Lord will raise them up this day or on the final day. Uh, and, and the principle, that's why he talks about Elijah uh, in verse 17. Elijah was a human being and even as we are, he prayed earnestly, earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was just an average guy and James is saying, look, deep down, anyone is in that space is a follower of Christ. And God, he's more interested not in the oil you use or in the faith of the sick person. He's talking about the faith of those who come to pray. He's talking about the faith uh, of those who offer that prayer. You know, if anyone's at fault, it's those who are praying. And faith is a commitment of trust in God. Elijah, like all of us, and you can check out the miracles he's done. He in one Kings 17 to 18, one of those wonderful parts of God's Word. But Elijah was a man like us. I, I do love reading the story of George Mueller. Many of you, the oldest saints, know about George Mueller. He really had a dollar to his name. But every time he prayed, every time he prayed, God provided financial resources. Now you can see, you can read his story. It's amazing. He was an incredible man of prayer. But something happened to him around 1838, and he realized he should be praying for the sick. And yet as you read his journals, it's amazing to realize that he didn't have the same confidence that every person he prayed for would be healed. And, can I use this word, he didn't experience or see the same success as he did with financial provision. But we're called to trust that God has a better way, and God knows what's going on. And finally, as James wraps up this most ouch-type letter, this letter that really prods every Christian in every way, and I hope that's happened for you. He concludes it by getting to the end in verses 19 and 20 and said, Look, because I want you to patiently persevere, patiently pray, you've got to patiently proclaim the hope in Christ. And he says in verse 19 and 20, Brothers and sisters... If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Isn't that true? James wants others to help those who are wandering. He wants us to help brothers and sisters. And I tell you what, most of the stats are indicating that when we do get back together we probably should expect about maybe 60 to 70% of our members to actually come back. And you, like I, will ask the question, well, what's happened to the rest? Maybe some have wandered. And you might be hoping, therefore, Ian and Langdon, Shane, will just sit on the phone day in, day out, ringing people up saying, come back, come back. Now you might do that. But brothers and sisters, if you know right now someone's wandering, and not just wandering in their life but their journey of faith and wandering away from god and are potentially facing the end result of being judged and their temptation is leading to sin then what are you doing James so is saying call them back proclaim the goodness of god truth is available death threatens us all Gee, wow you know that we are called to turn sinners away and to bring them back to a fellowship with christ There's an urgency there, an urgency of repentance. And finally, I wonder now as we wrap it all up, what's the journey of faith? What will it be for us as we look to the future? You know, James loves his brothers and sisters. You know, we've missed you guys so much. Words can't really capture how weird it's been for us on the platform, in this building, speaking and singing. You know, one of the hardest things I've realized I've found is getting up to speak to you about God without hearing the voices of God's people. I've found that really tough personally. Maybe that's why I've kept reflecting on songs and the word of God week in, week out. James says, grab someone, bring them back. Remember loving others. And so here we are at the end of our journey with James. My dear wife, Rhonda, was reading The Australian yesterday And she drew my attention to an article by a guy called Bernard Salt. And Bernard Salt, uh, he's a demographer, and he writes this. He writes that uh, there was a message delivered by an Anglican bishop in 1893 in Melbourne at the height of severe depression that ended more than three decades of prosperity following the gold rush. And he called upon everyone to have a special day of humiliation, he called it, in prayer. It was a time of calamity on a grand scale. Property values had collapsed. Uh, industrial unrest was everywhere. Uh, the Yarra River had been flooded. There were locusts, plagues, uh, measles, influenza. It sort of sounds a bit like 2020. This special day, according to history, was an opportunity to cast ourselves at the feet of god and to ask him to bring us out the bishop concluded that the causes of troubles was the very human sins of covetousness, extravaganza selfishness and get this forgetfulness of god the society had forgotten the god who made them wow and the bishop prayed as others did for deliverance from these hard times Bernard Salt goes on to conclude and he says more than a century later now terrible times have again befallen the Australian people but we are hardly the God-fearing congregations of the 1890s isn't that true he says uh, while we need to repent maybe today isn't the day for fire and brimstone sermons anymore I wonder but in harsher times like we're experiencing I wonder where our attention has been turned towards. Has it been turned towards hope in God? So here we are at the end. And yet for many people, maybe the beginning of a new faith journey. So let me ask you these questions. What will your children, I'm old enough to say this, what will your grandchildren remember about you when you are gone? Will they remember the godly life you've led as you have sought to live that under, under Christ? And will they have a desire to imitate that? That's certainly a hope I have. Will they remember how you've lived in this in-between period? Will they remember even more the example, the practical example that you've left them about forgiveness, love, care, as your faith in Christ grew year in, year out? May that be something we think about as we move into the month of July And look and hope for a better day. Let me pray as we prepare ourselves for communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Lord, may we truly be a people who love you, who seek to serve you, and who seek to honour you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've got my grape juice and bread ready and uh, i want you to think for a moment and it won't surprise you that as i read from 1 corinthians 11 the words that the apostle paul writes to the church at corinth resonate very powerfully today they just really echo what god is doing verse 23 we read this for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given you thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death when? Until he comes. We're waiting. Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink, without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Get this, this is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then... My brothers and sisters, as we take communion today, I'm going to ask you for a moment, and all those online, no matter where you are, I'm wondering how you're going. Is there something you need to confess? And we can jump to 1 John 1 because our God is faithful and just, and as we confess, he forgives us. But I wonder if those sitting around you in your lounge room, dining room, wherever you are, have you caused grief to them? Do you need to confess your sins? Do you need to actually say, look, I'm sorry for getting angry last night. I'm sorry getting angry this morning. I'm sorry for what I said during the week. Are there things of confession that you need to do? I'll pause for a moment to allow you to do that. If you find it too awkward, can I encourage you to do it today? Don't just take this bread and this grape juice or wine and think it doesn't matter ian doesn't know it's true i I don't know i don't know what's going on in your life right now the lord knows there's a day coming when he returns and we're waiting for that day so let's eat together in remembrance that christ died for us And as you ponder the goodness of God to us, let's drink in remembrance as we wait patiently for the Lord to return. Drink in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for us. As the band comes in now, to help us wrap up and to sing praises to our great God, let me pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that we can learn how to live well in the in-between. We thank you we can learn patiently how to wait for your return. Lord, we want to get out of this season as soon as we can, but as we wait, help us be wise with our words, wise with our hearts, and help us keep rejoicing in your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.